Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un and his South Korean counterpart Moon Jae-in will meet for talks on Friday in a development that was barely imaginable just a few months ago when the crisis over North Korea's nuclear weapons programme was at its height. Even more astonishingly, the US President Donald Trump is preparing for his own face-to-face meeting with the North Korean leader in the coming weeks. North Korea is the main theme of our podcast today, but I'll also be talking to Suzanne Lynch, our Washington correspondent, about this week's state visit to the US of the French President Emmanuel Macron. But it's North Korea first, and Clifford Coonan, our Beijing correspondent, will be covering Friday's summit for the Irish Times from Panmun Jom. He joins me now in studio. Clifford, what are we expecting from this meeting between Moon Jae-in and Kim Jong-un? Do we know what to expect? Well, I think because of the way things have developed over the years, North Korea has reneged on, on every agreement to denuclearize in the past quarter century. So they don't have good form in terms of um, going into this summit. But recent moves have been kind of unprecedented, coming from Kim Jong-un, making all kinds of promises. Uh, He said that they're prepared to compromise on things like the US troop deployment in the the DMZ. He's he's come out with a lot of, um, even the whole Winter Olympic situation when they came down, uh, when his sister came down and, and senior members of the of the Workers' Party of Korea, the ruling party there, came to attend the Winter Olympics and they also had the joint um, presence at that game. That was a major breakthrough. And I think the tone of the, um, of the approaches from the North Korean side is significantly different uh, from what from that we've seen before, even during the previous meetings between the two, uh, with Kim Jong Kim Jong Il, the father of Kim Jong Un, um, the tone was still very hesitant and um, almost belligerent going into it in some ways. Uh, whereas this has been much more positive. But what do you think are the objectives of the two sides? I mean, what are they looking for? I think. Um, I think Moon Jae-in is probably thinking about, obviously, they want to stabilise the situation with the North because they're directly in the line of fire when it comes to any any kind of conflict. He also wants to store, score some domestic points there. He also wants to lay the ground for a successful meeting with Donald Trump. Uh, with Kim Jong-un, it's more complicated trying to work out what it is. We know, one of the things is that we know he was coming under a lot of pressure from the army and the army is extremely powerful in, in, in North Korea. What some people suggest is that, first of all, they need to stabilize the economy. Um, the sanctions from the United Nations have hit them very hard. Um, there's a lot of hardship in the country. And it's possible, given that he's just met with the Chinese, uh, he met with Xi Jinping. It's funny that for all the dialogue about opening up and Donald Trump and everything, still the first person to meet um, Kim Jong-un since he's of, of, of any stature since he's come to power was Xi Jinping. Um, and that relationship has gone on for 70 years, used to be as close as lips and teeth, fellow fellow com- combatants in arms. So um, that would suggest that maybe there was something on the economic side as well that was either promised to the North Koreans or possibly even, I don't use the word threat, but maybe the Chinese kind of tried to say to the North Koreans, look, we need to we need to do something here because this can't keep going on like this um, because it's, it's putting China in a difficult position too, particularly vis-a-vis the, the US. So um, I think you'd be looking for something something on the economy to help stabilize the economy, but also I think recognition for the country and assurances that there will be no regime change. That's clearly going to be a big factor for something he's very worried about. You mentioned Donald Trump there. He's due to meet Kim Jong-un in the near future. What do you think 
Trump is hoping for from this meeting on Friday. I mean, he won't want Moon Jae-in to make any concessions before he meets Kim himself, will he? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of ironic that in, when we're looking at motivations and expectations on this, that actually the least predictable is now the leader of the US, whereas previously it was always the, the North Koreans followed by the South Koreans. Um, so um, I think he it's um, he he mistweeted over the weekend saying that the North Koreans had promised to denuclearize. Um, whereas, in fact, they've agreed to stop testing and and to make some concessions on the 28,500 troops there. I think uh, Trump will be looking for a big, obviously a big political, domestic political win. If he, if he does succeed in getting concessions from North Korea, that would be a big deal for him domestically. But I think what really shook the Americans was the fact that the North Koreans say that they can transport a warhead to the to the American seaboard, to main, mainland America. Um, I think that clearly shook people. So he'd be looking for some kind of reassurance that at least certainly initially that that stage of the of the nuclear program will be removed. And I think that so that'll be the, the main priority, I think, for him. And Clifford, it's only about six months since, you know, North Korea was firing missiles over Japan. Um, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un were trading insults. Trump calling Kim little rocket man. Kim calling the US president a mentally deranged dotard. Now, you're a, you're a long seasoned observer of Southeast Asia. You've, be, you've been based in Beijing for 15 years or so. Have, have you seen anything? Have you witnessed any story at which has moved uh, at the pace that this story has moved over the past, you know, two or three months to get us to where we are today? In some ways, I mean, the Trump factor is something that we're seeing it in so many different areas, but um, nobody could have predicted a U.S. president like this. And his belligerent, his incredible belligerent tone and his unpredictability seems to have rattled everyone. I mean, it's it's rattled the allies, the U.S. allies in the region too, but it seems to have rattled North Korea and jolted them into action in a way that means that even though things have kind of happened for, for the wrong reasons, if you want, but still, we've never been this close to, you know, having significant talks. One thing a couple of weeks ago, which struck me, I was up at Dandong um, on the Chinese side, um, about which I wrote, I wrote about this for the, for the paper, and um, we took a water taxi into basically into North Korea. And um, the soldiers were there stripped to the waist with AK-47s on their back fishing. And they were skinny and they were hungry. They were fishing for their dinner. And they were very dark-skinned. They had all the appearance of, of basically of malnutrition. And I was really struck by how poor North Korea was. And if this is the army, even though it's a big army, you're, you, very, you very much felt that it's still not an army that would win a conventional war, no matter how how dedicated they are. It would be extremely difficult. Just the army, it's under-resourced. It's a very, very poor country. And South Korea has all the backing of the US. It's a much stronger military capability. So it struck me at the time that the nuclear, the, the, what was driving the nuclear option was that this is a way of, of basically having strength without having to have, you know, having to rely on an army that may not be as strong as, as, as potential opponents. And um, and I think that's been a big motivating factor driving all of this is, is just that maybe the economy is at its end. Over the years, it's managed to, to keep going because of all the Chinese um, support. But the, 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 Chinese, the UN sanctions are really hitting in, the, in, in North Korea now, we hear. So I think that's, that's what's driven this incredible pace of change. And you mentioned there um, the announcement made by Kim at the weekend in which he suspended all missile tests and announced he was shutting down a nuclear test site, which you said Trump mischaracterized to a degree in, in, in a tweet. Um, Trump regards all of this as great progress and, and many people agree with him. And then there's a kind of counter view 
that Kim is successfully playing the US president, that he's no intention of giving up the nuclear program. He's just going to pocket the diplomatic gains that he achieves and, and then we'll be back to square one. Um, what's your own instinct here as to what's going on? Is it real progress or is Kim playing Donald Trump? Well, I think, um, I think the different tone suggests that there's more to it than before. Um, I think it would be wrong to 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 put too much uh, optimism into this, um, and I think the South Koreans are particularly um, they're particularly keen to have something to show from this. Um, I think what we probably see is um, something like a deal on ICBMs, the intercontinental ballistic missiles that can reach the US, um, and then sort of some superficial gains, like, um, but which are extremely important to South Korea, such as allowing families divided by the conflict to go and visit their relatives in the north. That's, they're increasingly few because it's now 70 years, nearly 70 years since the conflict. Uh, 60, 65 years since the conflict. But I think we'll see those sort of gains. Um, beyond that, it's very hard to tell. And a lot of that is because of the unpredictability of, of Donald Trump, I think. Um, I think um, we can kind of anticipate some limited gains from the, uh, for the inter-Korean um, summit but um, and then laying a good groundwork for the Trump meeting. Um, but once the Trump meeting comes, then it's, it becomes a little bit more random about what, what the way things could go. Um, but what is different, I think, is that is that um, they certainly promised. They never made promises like this before. Now, whether they follow through, I think, even when you make, if they've come that far forward, maybe it is a positive sign. And uh, Clifford, as you're, you're traveling to Panmunjom for the summit. Um, tell us something about the location. Why, why this location? Where is it, and, and what's the significance of, of where they're meeting? Panmunjom is on the demilitarized zone that divides the two the two Koreas. Um, it's kind of a peace center. So when you go there, it looks like a giant shopping mall facing onto a, an area which is divided by rows and rows of of, of barbed wire and minefields. So not wouldn't be your, your standard issue shopping mall by any means. You look across and, and you're looking into North Korea and you can see a lot of the troops there waiting. And what do we know about the arrangements in terms of how much time uh, Moon and Kim will be spending together and so on? Well, they've just said they've just announced this week that they're they will be having the meeting mid morning, um, and Korea's eight hours ahead of Irish time, um, and then they'll have a dinner as well on the same day. Um, they'll be um, in terms of the logistics. They've announced that there's uh, there'll be two thousand eight hundred and thirty three journalists who have uh, registered for it. Um, I noticed when I was applying for my visa, they were very helpful. So that clearly the South Koreans are very keen that there's that this is reported and that it is they're very keen for this to be a success. Um, the you know in, in the visa office the people are clearly you can actually tell they're very excited by this that, that it could be something because this is something they lived with for 65 years um, and it's affected nearly everyone in the country. Yeah, so they're very keen that the story gets out there. Thanks, David. Well, we'll leave you there for now. Um, thanks for coming in. It's been uh, great to have the opportunity to chat to you here in Dublin while you're passing through home. But as we mentioned, you're travelling on to Panmunjom for the summit on Thursday, and we look forward to your coverage from there. Thanks very much, Chris. And we're staying with that theme for the moment. I'm joined now by our Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Um, Suzanne, we've just been talking to Clifford here about Friday's summit between Kim Jong-un and Moon Jae-in. The Americans will be watching this one very closely, won't they? Yes, absolutely. I mean, what's happened here in the last few weeks is that uh, preparations for a potential meeting between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un have really been uh, progressing quite quite rapidly. 
um, there was great surprise when it emerged that Mike Pompeo, the current CIA director and soon to be Secretary of State, it seems, that he had actually fl flown to North Korea over the Easter weekend to meet the North Korean leader. Uh, so I think that took um, almost everyone by surprise um, and really indicated that the Americans are serious about this summit meeting. Um, as you say there, they will be closely watching events on Friday. South Korea has played a, a central role, really, uh, in this whole breaking of um, the impasse between North Korea and the international community. Um, and of course, it was South Korean delegates who visited the White House uh, last month who announced that uh, Mr. Trump had agreed to meet the North Korean leader. But of course, a lot of questions remain about what could be achieved at the summit and really about the expectations of the summit. Are we, are we looking at two people with very different ideas uh, about what they want to achieve uh, from a potential meeting? So, for example, we uh, saw Donald Trump tweeting this weekend about North Korea, saying that they'd already agreed to denuclearization and no more testing, and this is so great for the world. Whereas, in fact, the announcement that emerged late last Friday night that um, North Korea would halt nuclear testing did not you know, include any commitment to you know, dispose of its current nuclear arsenal, uh, for example. So we need to find out more about what both sides want from this meeting and what are the outcomes and the objectives of the summit if it does take place. And Donald Trump himself seems kind of unsure as to what to expect. As you mentioned there, he tweeted about great progress, probably overstated the extent of the progress. Then he seemed to pull back over the weekend and he was uh, striking a much less optimistic tone. Mm. So what, what do you think is going on there? Yeah, and he, he warned, for example, during a press conference with the Japanese prime minister that he would walk out of any talks and indeed not go to any talks if America was not quite happy. So you're right, it, there's lots of contradictions coming from the White House and from Trump um, about um, what he feels about this meeting and when it actually comes to the point, what's, you know, what's, what does he want from it? But also things like where is it going to take place? The optics of this is going to be very important. Uh, Trump himself said five uh, venues are under consideration, uh, maybe somewhere in Europe like Sweden or Switzerland. But of course, you have an issue there about Kim Jong-un's transport. No one knows how old his planes are. Would he be able to get there? And so all these practical details in and of themselves are, are difficult. Um, before we even get into the, the complex foreign policy. And usually with these situations, these kind of hugely important high-level meetings would have months uh, of preparation um, ahead of them. There would be months of preparation and train. In this case, we've got a very a carved-out State Department, if you like. We, we have an incoming Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. His uh, nomination was passed by the Senate Foreign Relations Committee yesterday, so it looks like he will be passed as a new Secretary of State. But it was interesting that he brought CIA uh, officials with him, not Secretary, not State Department officials. So the sense of, you know, who is driving this policy in North Korea, um, and as a result, what does America want from this? Because it's going to have to be clear about its objectives uh, to be able to show that this was a success. And, and really, and we have a contradiction, which we might get onto in a minute, but that at the very point that Trump is styling himself as somebody who's going to bring peace, if you like, to the Korean Peninsula. He's trying to get out of the Iran nuclear deal. So, you know, the complexities of that that deal really kind of illustrate the complexities that are going to be involved when they get down to talking about the detail of, of denuclearization on the Korean Peninsula. Um, it's amazing, though, in North Korea, isn't it, really? The, the picture you paint there, is, it all seems so chaotic. And yet, on some level, it seems to be working. I mean... Nobody knows what's going to happen, mm. but there's a bit more hope around at the moment than there has been for a very long time about North Korea. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and that's true. And um, I think one of uh, Trump's officials said over the weekend that um, Barack Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize, Prize less than a year into the, in, into office. Um, and yes, here's Donald Trump actually, you know, preparing for a meeting with a North Korean leader and he's not being given credit for it. Um, and that certainly is a point. And I think most analysts would agree that it's better to be, uh, you know, engaging in dialogue than in the kind of inflammatory rhetoric, but that both men were engaging in late last summer when it really seemed like, um, you know, the world could be moving towards nuclear war. But in saying that, we do need to remember that North Korea tested so many missiles, so many, you know, there's so much nuclear activity uh, in last year, you know, that can't be forgotten. Um, and, you know, the, the sense is that North Korea is is, is is there a strategy here by North Korea? What is their end game? Um, and that's going to come down to trust. And I think, again, as we said at the beginning, I think the role of South Korea here cannot be um, underestimated, both in terms of, of, you know, as a conduit into Trump and the administration here in Washington, to their ambassadors, etc. And then, of course, what happens at the meeting on Friday. So I think that will dictate a lot and that will maybe help steer the Americans uh, and lay the ground for what happens uh, when the summit finally takes place, probably at the uh, at the beginning of June sometime. Now, Trump has other things on his mind today. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, is in town for the first state visit of the Trump presidency. Suzanne, these are two leaders who, on the face of it, should have nothing in common, and yet they've built up a, a very good relationship. The relation spéciale, I see it being referred to in some places. Mm. What do you think it is that's making this very unusual relationship work? Yes, it's quite remarkable, really. And I think it does stem back to uh, Macron's decision to invite Trump to Paris last July, um, where he was welcomed with a military parade, uh, which obviously really appealed to Trump's sense of, you know, sense of drama and sense of pomp and ceremony. And I think this really impressed uh, Donald Trump. And in one sense, you could say, OK, politically, and very, they're very much different, but they're all, they're both kind of uh, rebels in one sense, you know, reigning against political establishment in their own country um, and bringing kind of a new movement, if you like, however different uh, to their own country. Um, but in saying that, I think um, the Macron-Trump relationship you know, speaks of a deeper issue uh, in terms of transatlantic relations. And that's the, the gradual decline of Germany uh, over the last year or so in, in Europe. And of course, Barack Obama had a very close relationship with Angela Merkel. But now it seems that uh, Emmanuel Macron is the person. Uh, the, obviously, there's a famous phrase, you know, who from by the Americans, who to call when you want to call Europe. And in this sense, it very much seems to be Macron, not uh, Merkel. So that's really a very, very interesting indication of the shifting balance of power within Europe. As, as Germany, if you like, have become, has become relatively more weakened uh, under Merkel at the moment. Um, and Macron, even though he is facing domestic difficulties at the moment, uh, over the last year at least, that he has, you know, um, taken back France's place, if you like, at the, at the, at the centre of the European Union, particularly with Brexit being so imminent. So I think um, it's important for the Europeans uh, to have a point man for Trump, if you like. And, and this has happened with all leaders. It happened with Leo Varadkar. It happened with the Swedish prime minister when they, were, when they visited Washington. There was a very strong sense in their press conferences with, with President Trump that they were kind of speaking for Europe, that they had been briefed uh, by European leaders and um, by the EU embassy and the ambassadors here about a common line on issues like trade, on issues um, like foreign policy. So I think that's, you know, just a continuation of that with Macron. And of course, uh, Merkel is also coming here on Friday, but her visit will be a lot more low key. None of the pomp and ceremony we're going to see here today in Washington, where there is going to be an official state dinner uh, for Emmanuel Macron and his wife uh, this evening. 
There's one thing that strikes me that the French president has in common with Trump, and that's a very unusual or unorthodox approach to foreign policy. And he's not afraid to set specific objectives. Um, So he's going to Washington with the stated intention of persuading Trump to keep the US in the Iran nuclear deal of 2015 which they agreed with six yeah. world powers at that time. I think most leaders tend to avoid setting those kind of objectives for to avoid the risk of failure. But what are Macron's chances of, of success, do you think, in this area? Yeah, I think what's pushing the French into discussing this is the fact that um, there's a looming deadline, uh, May the 12th, uh, Trump has to decide whether to sign off on a waiver on US sanctions on Iran. And he has threatened not to do so, which would effectively pull America out of that deal. Now, Macron's visit is happening at the same time as G7 foreign ministers are meeting in Toronto. Um, and the Iran nuclear deal is very much on the agenda there. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's becoming such a focus here. And yet, as you say, um, this was agreed in 2015 by America and these other powers. And there's now real fears about America pulling out of this deal. So what we're seeing is a real diplomatic offensive by France, by Britain, by Germany to try and encourage America to stay in this nuclear deal. Um, and I think, of course, the, the difficulty is, is, is how, how they're going to do this. How are they going to achieve this? America says it wants amendments to the deal. Iran will not be happy with that. But there are a few possibilities. Um, European leaders have been hinting that perhaps they would consider fresh sanctions on Iran over their ballistic missile uh, program. Um, and that secondly, they would look at some kind of way of, of tightening up scrutiny of nuclear sites in Iran. That's one of the big issues on the American side, that there's not enough access into some of these nuclear sites. So it's going to be very much threading a needle here and trying to, you know, tinker with the Iran deal, but not so much as that it completely revokes the deal and it needs to be renegotiated. And so it's a real challenge, I think, uh, over the next few weeks. But I do think the fact that, and again, getting back to this relationship between Macron and Trump, the fact that America has... um, has cooperated with France and Britain just recently in the Syrian attacks may, you know, encourage uh, Donald Trump to continue this policy of kind of alignment and that Macron will no doubt be stressing the fact that it's better for America to work with its military allies and not in isolation um, when it comes to Iran. But of course, Iran is involved in Syria as well, so there's complications there. So we expect that kind of line, those kind of lines to be used by Macron when he meets uh, Mr. Trump today. And what else is on the agenda? Um, Well, I think the latest on the Syrian uh, issue is going to be very important. Obviously, France, Britain and America launched these targeted strikes on Assad on chemical sites um, just about 10 days ago in Syria. So uh, there's going to be an update on that. Um, And also, of course, uh, trade issues. Um, Europe is still very concerned about these protectionist impulses that that America is showing and that Trump is really following through through on so many of these uh, promises when it comes to trade, renegotiation, NAF, renegotiating NAFTA and tariffs on steel and aluminium. Even though Europe has been given a bit of a reprieve, I think we're going to see a lot of messages from Macron and, of course, from the Americans about the great trade relationship with France and America. And even um, a few days ago, administration officials were briefing here in Washington and they were making the point about these long-standing trade relationships uh, between France and America. So I think that's going to be the other kind of big focus uh, of the talks uh, on Tuesday. And, of course, um, Macron will be addressing Congress on Wednesday. That's quite significant. Um, it will be 58 years to the, to the day that, uh, since Charles de Gaulle addressed uh, the joint uh, joint session of the Houses of Congress. So it'll be important to keep an eye on what he says in, in that forum also. OK, Suzanne, well, you've got a busy few days ahead as always. Um, thanks for joining us today. 
that's all for this week. For more on these and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.